awesome. Come on, why don't we pray? Why don't we lift our hands all over this place? So good to be in Wales. Feels like coming home. Jesus, we thank you, Father. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for people here tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray for marriages here tonight, Father. We pray for families here. We pray for, Lord, we pray for people who are here for the first time. Someone's invited them to church tonight, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray for every single person. Lord, that you do a work in our heart tonight, Lord Jesus, that we would understand this message of grace. We would understand this message of acceptance, of favor, of love, of empowerment. Father, that you do all that you can, Lord, to lift us up and to forgive us and to, Lord, to, for us to become all that we can become in you. Lord, I pray tonight that we would just be overwhelmed by your love, by your unfailing love by your unfailing kindness, by your goodness, by your mercy, by your forgiveness, by your healing power. We love you. And we thank you for everything you've done in our lives. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. So good. Hey, why don't we thank, why don't we thank the team as well from your church who was singing. Incredible. You're awesome. And why don't you uh, give someone a high five if you do that in Wales and uh, take a seat where you are. Thank you, Dan Barrett. So good. Excellent. Beautiful. Wow, I love I love this church. I love this place, and um, incredible incredible friends that really invited us up today. Um, Pastor Dave and Faye, why don't we thank them just for being who they are, their hospitable selves. And you know what? We've truly we've truly um, come to love them over the last few years as they've come up to London. And uh, started hanging out and started, I don't know, just came to our place for dinner and leadership things and all that kind of stuff. So you really are incredible, incredible people. And we're really here to support you and, and really what's in your heart. And, uh, you know, I came up a while ago, I think it was last year, and said that we'd be back. And I tell you what, this won't be the last time that we're back. Um, that, you know, we're in here for the long haul and really just believing, believing that God can do something in your lives. And, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Ray Bevan, you know, don't we love this man? Come on, why don't we, why don't we just give him some appreciation? He, um, he has come to Hillsong London, I don't know, for like every year since Jesus was born. Um, he's, he's been coming to London and really just what he has sown into our church. We can never repay him and you for uh, for releasing him and bringing him up there really every year he has a god word in that god moment that 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 we need um and he's really funny as well which is always which is always nice but uh really he has done that and uh we just honor you and we just appreciate you and your faithfulness that you've shown towards us and i think being here tonight is like it's just a no-brainer it's like we 
we want to come and do all that we can to uh, sow into your lives and your incredible team and, and your church and what, and what God's doing. And I've got my friend Simon Gibbs here, one of our uh, campus pastors. So I want you to just stand up, just give everyone a wave, turn around there. And Simon's going to come up at the end and just, you know, speak to a few people before the night's out. And there's John Borfeld in his DJ booth over there. He's uh, our Swedish part-time model and uh, part-time, but, but, but still part-time, uh, which is awesome. And then the whole team who are up here, it's uh, great to do life. It's great to do life with people. Awesome. I want to um, speak to you tonight. Um, I just want to say, the good news is I've got a timer. Like, isn't it always reassuring to know when the speaker's got a timer? You know what I mean? That they are going to finish before midnight, and they are going to finish at a certain amount of time. I don't know about you, but I kind of always like that, you know, to kind of just stick within a little, uh, a little timing. So, you know, I'm, um, I'm, uh, I'm originally from New Zealand. We are, um, we've won the Rugby World Cup, I think, like three times now. Hey, come on. I'm just speaking truth and love. Um, and uh, my second favorite rugby team in the world is the Welsh rugby team. I want to tell you that. Because unlike the Scots and the Irish, you've beaten us before, okay? So we have respect for anyone who's beaten us up. And the Welsh, we never like playing you. We never like playing you because you're just hard men. Um, and uh, you, tackle, you tackle hard. And uh, so it's always, it's always good. And, and really, it's pretty much, you know, there's a Lions tour, I think, coming up next year. Is that, is that right? So it's pretty much... New Zealand versus the Welsh rugby team, really, if you think about it, because there'd be so many Welsh players in the Lions team. Uh, but, you know, looking forward to that. I love rugby. My story, really, of coming to church is I'm the most unlikely guy that you'll ever find doing what we're doing now. I, my life was rugby. My brother is the captain of the New Zealand Sevens rugby team, um, Tim Mickelson, um, a bit taller than me, a little bit stronger than me, a little bit faster than me, a little better looking than me, um, but I'm better at spelling, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm way better at, like, spelling things and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But my life was rugby, and really, that's what I was about. Um, I grew up kind of in church. You know, when church was over, I celebrated really hard. Um, my dad and my mum my and dad would, would take us there for years, and we kind of loathed the whole thing, really. But, um, you know, and I suppose years ago, really, in London, 12 years ago now, I came to the UK to play rugby. Um, not, like, for anyone good, okay? <laughs> like, just for just for a battler's team. Um, but, but that was my life mission, and that was my purpose, and that was my conversation, and that was every waking moment was about rugby and about just doing all that I can to be to be all that I can. And that was my identity, and that was my thing that I looked for until I walked into church um, about 12 years ago, a service just like tonight, sitting at the back. It's always dangerous sitting at the back. Um, and uh, really just, you know, one thing is I... I understood what the guy was saying at the front, so I'm going to try and help you out tonight um, with that, making it as, as plain, as simple as possible. And I felt the presence of God. And, and, and everything changed in my life. And uh, amazing. And ever since then, really, it's just been a journey of finding out more about who Jesus is, about getting involved, realizing that Christians aren't all nerds. You know what I mean? And that there is... No, seriously. I was like, the biggest decision was, God, do I have to become a nerd? You know, and I'm like, have fun 
I'll become a Christian and become a nerd. Have fun. Oh, I'll become a nerd for you. you know? And I realize that there's actually amazing people. Um, that call themselves Christians and that actually you can have a whole lot of fun and the people that you meet, it's amazing, the people that you meet, the people that believe in you, the people that help you along the way really, for me, make this Christian walk and Christian life and that's why I've got Simon and Connor and the guys and everyone here that we do life together. It's so much fun in everything that we do and we're all about seeing as many people come to know Jesus in our lifetime. We're all about at Hillsong about the Great Commission. And um, we try to do it in a way where people can understand it and we don't try and say too many crazy things or do too many like freaky things, you know what I mean? But really, we want people to come to know who Jesus is. Change mindsets about Jesus and actually realize that, that Jesus is for you and Jesus loves you. Because most of what people think, I don't know about you, but I grew up knowing about, about God. Grew up in a, in, a, in a church school. You know, if I, if I went to a pub, I would have been amazing at Bible trivia. You know, I knew how many animals walked on the ark. I knew all that stuff. But I knew nothing of who Jesus was. You know, I knew the stuff, but I didn't know the person. And hopefully tonight, through, through what I'm speaking, that we can start to understand who Jesus is. Maybe you've been a Christian for like 50 years here tonight. Well, I hope tonight that you can walk away with more of a revelation of who Jesus is. You know, it says, as we grow in our knowledge of Christ... Then we grow in our understanding of grace and of mercy and of love. And that changes us completely. And all it takes is a moment. For me, 12 years ago, it was one moment on one night that, uh, you know, the, probably, the good from, you know, probably the good thing for me that night is I, you know, it was probably one of the nights I hadn't been drinking in, in, in a whole lot of time. Because that whole rugby culture for me was really, I don't know if it was more about the drinking or the or the rugby. I kind of wasn't, I wasn't sure. I, I think we trained so we could drink, so we could train. You know what I mean? I, I don't know what it was, but in that moment, something clicked. And the message went into my heart. And I pray that for you tonight. You know, my wife and I, um, since, since coming to the UK, um, I got, we've got one child um, called Finn, like a shark Finn. Um, people think his name's Thin. Um, I mean, he is very thin, but that's not what we've, uh, that's not what we've called him. We've done a little bit of traveling um, around Europe and all that kind of stuff um, since we've been here because we're from New Zealand and all we have is mountains and um, Lord of the Ring like little guys that, that just walk around <laughs> the place. I'm actually born in Hobbiton. I don't know if you know, it's like where all the hobbits are from. So I don't know where I missed that. I'm about six foot three, so... Uh, See, I just don't fit in anywhere, you know what I mean? That's why I came over to the UK, to find some tall people to, uh, to be with. But um, I want to show you a photo on the screen. And if you've been to Barcelona, you may have seen this building before. I, I don't know if you have, but it's called the Sangria Familia. Um, it's an amazing church. This guy, um, this guy called um, Antonio Gaudi... Um, designed this, and they've been building it for 100 years. He started with this vision. There he is. He really looks like a hipster, doesn't he? I think he'd be quite cool right now. You know what I mean? He's got the, the hipster beard going on, the, the wax and the moustache. He looks a little bit like Simon Gibbs, who's uh, come with me down here. But if we go back to the building, this is an amazing building. He built it like, if you have a look, I'm just going to go over here. If you have a look, like, that's the size of the people compared to the, like, the structure. And you go there and you're just in awe and you're amazed of what this guy did. See, when you start 
And when you start studying about this guy called Antoni Gaudi, you start realizing that he, his vision for building this building, the reason he wanted this architecture to be big was because he saw that there was a big God. And he wanted other people to see that there was a big God. And what I've come to realize is in architecture, and I used to be a school teacher, so I know nothing about architecture, but I've Googled it, so it must be true, um, is that, that actually when you're, you know, what an architect values is reflected in, in what they build and what they design. Gaudi, he, he believed that God is a big God. And an awesome God. And that's why he built that building. There's another guy built built this building. Um, which is kind of amazing. His name is um, Frank Lloyd Wright. I'm sure we all know that. I, I didn't until I googled it. But um, this is a famous waterfall that goes through his house. I, I, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, really, it's quite amazing. But I, I think I just want to pee, you know what I mean, the whole time. You know what I mean? I'd be like... <laughs> Just wake up and be like, the sound of the waterfall would kind of freak me out. Sorry if you don't use that kind of lingo. In London, we're just like, we can use that. You know I mean? We can say that. But he, um, studying this guy, he designed that, stru- he, he believed that structures were in harmony with like the environment and all that kind of stuff. This is what he looks like. He's trying to look all arty and like, hmm, you know what I mean? And he's got the scarf that doesn't keep you warm, that makes you look kind of cool you know um the next guy designed this um you 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 may have seen this some australians which australians australians and new zealanders yeah we kind of don't get on it's a bit like you guys in the english um and um and 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 this guy designed this building because he believed that that architecture should kind of follow um the environment and how it looks and this kind of looks like a sea and waves and all that kind of stuff. This is what he looks like. He's looking all designy, kind. Actually, he looks like a farmer. Uh, that's fine. And then, and then, this next guy valued innovation, and he valued creativity and crazy design. He just believed that buildings should like spark, I don't know, a whole lot of stuff. So this is his other building, and this is his. This is like, isn't that amazing? I reckon. You know, you could do that at the front of your church. And then you've got this building. This is like crazy. And this building is kind of crazy. And uh, giant binoculars. Because you can. I suppose that's kind of the only reason you do that. And this is what this guy looked like. He's looking all designy as well. And, um, yeah, he believed in innovation and all that kind of stuff. See, the reason I talked about that is because when you read Ephesians chapter 3, 2, thank you, Ephesians chapter 2, this is what it says. It says, you belong here with just as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. God is building a home. He's using us all irrespective of how we got here and what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you, fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. See it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. Isn't that awesome? If we go back to the very first part of that scripture, it's amazing. God, I want you to look at the, in, the, in the pink there, God is building a home 
God's building a home. Think about that. All those architects, they, what they valued, they designed their things. The waterfall house, the weird houses, the, you know, the Sydney Opera house, because they valued what they valued. What, you think about God building a house, God designing a house. What type of house is God going to build if, if, if God's building it? And I just start thinking about this as a pastor. You know, I just start thinking about, wow, if we're building, if we're trying to, you know, the house of God, the church of Jesus Christ and, and what God is building, what is this house actually meant to look like? And then you start thinking about what is your house meant to look like? Because the, the reality is our house here tonight is just a whole lot of your houses all coming together that makes up this house. So what does your house look like? What is your house meant to look like? What do you think of Jesus? Because that will determine what you think he values, what you think he loves will be the kind of house that you think he would build. See, if you think Jesus came to judge, then maybe you think that he'd build a courthouse where he stands there with his big hammer and his weird like ringlet things, you know what I mean, on, and he just like slams on the the board he just says you're guilty but but you did that wrong but you did that wrong i know what you did last night what what are you thinking right now what are you doing on the way here look what you did 10 years ago and just this courthouse where god just judges and he judges you and he's just forever pointing a finger and you're just scared to walk around and if you think that's who god is then you're going to think the house of god is like that no wonder so many people stay away i i never wanted to come to church I thought the walls would fall down as soon as I walked in. People would look at me and go, Arr, what a bad man. And I'm like, but, but I haven't even done anything yet. Yeah, but, but God told us, you know what I mean? Or I don't know, or he's pointing a finger, he's pointing a finger at you. But the reality is, when you read John 3, chapter 17, it says God did not come to the world to judge the world. He came to save the world. And when you start reading the word of God and you, you start getting a revelation for yourself of actually Jesus, what he came to do. Jesus didn't come to build a courthouse. He came to set us free. He didn't come to judge you. You could be sitting here tonight going, God is judging me. No, no. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're made right with God. We're made right. Whether you've been saved for 50 years or you haven't been saved here tonight, there's a God in heaven who has not come to judge you if you put your faith in him. Because Jesus did everything on that cross. You know, maybe you, maybe you think that God's a God that really wants to imprison you and contain you and lock you up. And I think that was my view of God. You know, like that kind of view of God thinks that maybe God came to build a jailhouse. <laughs> if God's building a house... He's building a jailhouse where he's just going to confine me and keep me small and just this boring, small, you know, I'm living this great life. I'm having lots of fun. I've got lots of friends, but no, I'm going to become a Christian. I'm just going to, my life's over. You know, I just need to sit at home and watch Welsh TV all night. You know what I mean? <laughs> just every night. And that's what I thought God wanted me to do. But God didn't come to build a jailhouse. And Romans chapter 8 says there's no condemnation. That we're set free when it comes to Jesus Christ. Maybe you think gee, God came just to build a social house. Just good times. Just giggles and laughs, and, but, but no purpose at all. So you're just, you're just floating around and you're like, God's good, you know, and everything's not good. But you're just, but you're just you know, living like that. No, no, no. You know, you, you read John chapter 18. It says, Jesus says, I came 
into this world um, with purpose. I know why I'm here. It's for this cause that I was born. And I think there could be people here tonight. I know I lived a life like that. I didn't even know why I was on this planet. I was just drifting through life. And I think that's the most important day of your life is when you know why you were born. You know what you're here to do. You're on a mission. And God wants to tell you that mission tonight. Which you know what? what, That fills every day with purpose. Every single day when I wake up in the morning and I'm, I'm... I'm sleeping and I wake up and I'm like, oh. I know, I know why I'm here. I know why I'm here. I've got two feet on the ground and for the rest of the day, I know what God wants me to do. And I can, my life was never like that. All it was, was just rugby, rugby, rugby. I mean, and that is hugely important. Okay. So if there's any rugby people tonight, that's fair enough. But rugby and Jesus, you know what I mean? Like there is... There's purpose that you can bring into your life. Another thing you might think of Jesus is that he just came to enforce rules. And you might think it's like a police station kind of state or a police, a police house. We just come for rules and rules and rules and rules and regulations and you can't do that 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 and you can't do that. Romans 6 says that we're not under the law anymore, but we're under grace. That it's for freedom that Christ set us free. So what type of house did God say that he would build? And I've been doing a study of the Bible and I've been loving it. I've been, you know, I looked in um, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And let's read this scripture together. I want you to write this down. I want you to think of this. Let's have a look at the scripture as it goes up on the screen now. This is the house that he said that he would build. As the suspense grows. Here we go. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10. And this is what God says. He says, I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace. A spirit of grace and a spirit of supplication. Isn't that beautiful? What supplication? That's prayer. That's realizing that we need God. That's like God crying out to God. But the house of God. What type of house has God come to build? He's come to build a grace house. He's come to build a house that's all about grace, that's centered around grace, a house of grace, a grace house designed for no other reason but for people to encounter grace, to feel grace, to sense grace, to hear grace, to smell grace. The grace of God. I love it. The grace of God. That's what our lives should be centered about. That's what this house should be centered about. That people should come in here tonight and you've just felt the sense of, of warmth, of inclusion, of forgiveness, of love. And that as we people come in here tonight, that I believe that in time to come, that people are going to come and they're just going to sense that. They're going to feel it. You know, I grew up, I grew up um, with my older brother being blind. So ever since I remember, um, you know, my, my older brother couldn't see and, and growing up through the years, you know, just going to school and all that kind of stuff, that Vaughn is his name, that he would come home from school and his school trousers would just be like kind of dotted with blood because he's just walked around the school. And this was like, you know, this was early days before there was like, you know, like lightweight canes and all that kind of stuff. And to make things worse, he's got a like muscle condition, so he can't really hold things that well. And all day, he'd just be walking into things, walking into like tables and walking 
you know, walking into sharp objects and he'd come back and you'd just see him, you'd be like, oh, Vaughn, what's happening? And people would pick on him and, you know, I learned to fight, um, you know, protecting him and, uh, you know, which is kind of handy um, and all of that kind of stuff over the years. But what's amazing is when Vaughn would come home, he'd walk into our house, the front door, and he'd be like, oh, I'm home. I sense love. I sense acceptance. I'm free to trip over things because we kind of had nothing lying around the place. You know what I mean? He kind of, everything we got rid of was just like a bare house, like a warehouse. You know what I mean? It's kind of like Vaughn would come in. But you know what I love about it? And this is what I believe for the house of God. He would, we didn't say Vaughn, we hope you feel accepted. Vaughn, we hope you feel loved. He just sensed grace. He felt grace. He smelt grace. Like there was just a sense of grace in this house. And that's what I believe the house of God should be like. I love that, that picture of heaven. You think about it. You think about this picture of heaven, the perfection of heaven, the glory of heaven that comes and collides with us lot. The humanity, our humanity colliding with the perfection of heaven becomes this grace house, this house of God. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. You know what grace is? Grace is all sufficient. Grace is all-encompassing. Grace can overcome the most difficult situations and can turn around the most devastating sin and failure here tonight. It gives you a second chance. It gives you a comeback. Grace is an answer to everything humanly speaking. And it happens through the power of the cross of our Lord Jesus and His resurrection power. Grace is God's undeserved favor towards you. Grace is God's generosity of action and attitude towards you. Grace is God's enabling power running through you. Grace is a measure that's personalized and styled just with your name on it. It's beautiful. Acts 15 says that we're liberated through grace. Romans 5 verse 2 says that Jesus leads us into a place of radical grace. Romans 5 verse 20 says, you know, that, that I love it. It says, sin grew and grew when, when, when the law came. But whenever sin grew and spread, this is beautiful. God's grace was there fuller and in greater measure. No matter how much sin crept in, there's always more grace. Always more grace. You might be here just thinking, there's no chance for me. I can't overcome that temptation. I can't break through. I can't break through that. No, 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 no. Grace has the last word. Grace will always have the last word. You might think your failure defines you. Failure has the last word. You might have failed 1,000 times, 100,000 times, but it's not over. There's grace. There's more. There's more. There's more grace. It's in fuller measure. Whatever you can throw out tonight, grace is greater than that. Grace is fuller than that. Isn't that awesome? Come on, why don't we praise God for that here tonight. God's favor has been given freely to us through Jesus the Son who liberates us through sins, liberates us from sin's power. 2 Corinthians 12 says, My grace is enough to cover you. My grace is enough to sustain you. James chapter 4, verse 6. It says that you might think that your situation is hopeless, but God gives us more grace 
when we turn from our own interests. So you can walk away here tonight with more grace than you came in tonight. You know why? Because it says God opposes the proud and he pours out his grace to the humble. Humility, you know what that is? God, I can't do this. But you can. And you don't even need to kneel. It's just like I used to go to a Catholic church. You, know? <laughs> you can leave here with more grace. You know what I love about I'm 30, I think I'm 39. <laughs> I stopped counting a while. It's old, isn't it, Ray? It's terrible. It's old. But you know what I've realized? I love getting older. You know why? Because I'm, I've realized I'm not as good as I thought as I was when I was 18. <laughs> And I realize I need Jesus every more day. You know why? Because I've nearly failed at everything you can fail at in life. By the time I'm 38, I thought, I'm going to, I can do this. And I'm going, no, 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 no. I can't do anything, really. (laughs) I can't do anything without Jesus. I can't do anything without his grace. I can't do anything without his comeback power. It's like Paul says, the harder I try, the worse I do. Ever felt that one? That's awesome, isn't it? Thanks God for that, you know. But the harder I try, God, I'm going to be a better Christian. And it's like, that's the worst week of your life, you know what I mean? Like, oh God, thank you, you know. But His grace is there. His grace is there. It's all sufficient. You know, for me, there's three, there's three things, quick things, really that are the pillars I believe of this message of grace. Forgiveness favor and God's enabling power you know the forgiveness of God I think that's so important maybe you're here tonight you've been a Christian you're wondering what is this all about does the word says that God forgives us of what we've done wrong that he takes our transgressions and he makes us righteous it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 18 through what his son Jesus did on the cross Jesus came to earth he died for us he took all our sins he took the separation with God on himself And through that, we're made righteous. Not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. And I want people to walk away tonight feeling light and knowing. This is what he says. Isaiah 43, I think it's around 11. It says, I will blot out your sins. Hear this. And I will remember them no more. I think some of us have a better memory than God. God's like, I remember your sins no more. And we're like, hey, God, do you remember what I did three weeks ago? God's like, nope, I remember them no more. And he's like, why are you telling me about it? I remember your sins no more. What what does it say in Psalm 103? It says, as far as the east is from the west, I've taken away your sins. Micah 7 verse 19, it says, he casts our sin to the depths of the sea. And I think a grace house is a house that has a short memory. A grace house is a house as a house where it take you know it realizes people makes mistakes and it apologizes. But you know what it does? It doesn't keep bringing them up with people, and it doesn't let failure constantly frame your life. You know, let's be people that have the ability to forget at the right time, and let's because it lifts people's futures up. It lifts people's future up. Says, "Go for it! Come on, you can do it." We're not going to let that failure that you did in your life frame you for the rest of your life. And some mean old people want that to be the case. You failed in 1963, and we haven't forgotten that. And you're like, "What?" And it's kind of like, do we have to wait everyone to die before we can move forward? You know what I mean? And 
and what God's done. No, no. God wants us to have a short memory because it says he remembers no more. The second thing really is like favor. God wants you to know that you are favored in everything that you do. Psalm 5, I love this. It says, surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with, your, with favor as a shield. That God, he blesses the righteous. And some of you are here like, yeah, well, fat lot of use that is because I ain't righteous. You know what? If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are righteous. Romans chapter 5. Where is it? Romans chapter 5, verse 18. This is what it says. Yes, Adam. Yes, Adam's one sin brought condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brought a right relationship with God and a new life for everyone. Because one person um, disobeyed God, Adam. Many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will become righteous. See, you are righteous if you put you are righteous which means you are favored which means every morning that you wake up and you get up and you're walking around that God is with you that God is on your side that God is for you and I think Christians we're going to start walking in this confidence knowing that we are favored that God is with us you know I love it Psalm 23 Psalm 23 says this Surely your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Could I have Simon and Connor just come up here really quickly? Connor, if you just jump up. I want Simon to represent goodness. You're my goodness, okay? And Connor, you're my unfailing love. And this is what it says, that goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. So if you guys pursue me all the days of my life, and wherever I go, and whatever I do, and whoever I meet, I've got goodness. And I've got God's unfailing love following me every single place I go. And wherever I go, it doesn't really matter. Because I've got goodness, and I've got unfailing love following me all the days. Even if I start running around the auditorium, I've got goodness, and I've got unfailing love following me all the days, if they can keep up, because I'm pretty fast, all the days of my life, goodness and unfailing love can't really keep up with me but when they can because they're probably footballers but that's okay actually Simon used to play tennis God's goodness and unfailing love pursue us, they're stalking us they're scary looking Thank you, guys. You can sit down. But I think that's what a grace house realizes. And this favor, I think, is meant to keep us just wide-eyed. And like, wow, God's for me. You know when, I don't know about you, but you know when you feel like no one is on your side? Even like the person you're married to sometimes, you know what I mean? I, I don't know. In London, sometimes we feel like that, you know what I mean? And it's like... Wow, God, am I really alone in the universe? <laughs> is it just is it just me and you, you know? But his goodness and his mercy will pursue us. And I think it's meant to keep us like, God, you're amazing. God, you're incredible. And the last one is God's enabling power. A grace house has a passion for the empowerment of others. 
1, um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says that we've been given gifts to help others. That's the reason for the gifts and the talents that you have. I don't think, well, I never used to know that. I used to think, God, I'm so special. Thank you for giving me uh, abilities. Um, I don't know what they are, but thank you for giving me those abilities. What I've kind of realized is, they're not for me, you idiot. I'm speaking to myself. <laughs> they're not for me, they're for other people. And you know what? They are, they're meant to be used in the context of the church the gathering of the saints. God has given us gifts to help other people, to build other people's lives. He's given us forgiveness and He's given us love and He's given us unfailing love and favor. And these gifts that He gives us are meant to build other people's lives. And a grace house is a house that has a passion to see people's lives lifted up and see their lives move forward. And it's so amazing meeting people here and hearing stories of what God is doing in Newport because He's doing incredible, incredible things. He's lifting people up. Even tonight, you sitting here tonight, I don't know how you feel, but I know God's working on people's hearts tonight. He's lifting you up. He's empowering you. There's this life that's coming into some people's bones here tonight. As the Word of God is spoken and you feel like, I've got something to give. You do have something to give. Actually, this grace house, the house of God needs what you've got to give. And you know what? For too many years, I, I, I believe I robbed the house of God by just coming in, getting my thing, leaving. Coming in, leaving. Coming in, leaving. Coming in, leaving. Thinking church is like a hotel for me to get my little fix, stay the night, and then go. No, no, no. I, I believe we're meant to come in those doors and we're meant to add value to what's happening here. Add value to other people's lives. I, I believe we're only as connected as the people that we know. And church completely changed for me the moment that I met people. And, I, and I, I started hanging out with people. The worship team can come up now. There's nothing like seeing other people's lives lifted up. Let's be a house where we can encourage, where encouragement flows and grace just runs off our lips. Really, as I close tonight, when it comes to this whole message of grace, I want to read Psalm 45 verse 1 to people here. And I think this scripture is so crucial. This is what it says, okay? My heart overflows with a good theme. My heart overflows with a good theme. Psalm 45 verse 1. My heart overflows with a good theme. I started thinking, maybe before we start talking about our house, maybe we should start talking about our heart. And what's going on in our heart? What theme do you have in your life? Do you, is, it, is there a theme that flows from your mouth and from your lips and from your life, one of rejection? And everywhere you see, you just feel like you are rejected before you are rejected. Is there, like a, is there a theme of like, I don't know, of failure? Is there a theme of like dashed hopes? Is there a theme of, God, you can't use me. God, I've been so bad. God, I've, I've let you down. God, you know, and just all this condemnation that we put on ourselves. I know I used to live like that. God will never use me if He knows what I've done and all this kind of stuff. And I just want to encourage us tonight, if we just stand to our feet, we're about to sing that song, Grace to Grace, in a moment. But I want you to think about the type of house, 
the type of heart, the type of life that you have. Because you know what I know, what I've come to know in the last 12 years, being in this incredible country, is that when Jesus comes into your house, when Jesus comes into your life, everything can change in a moment. You know what, for me, I don't even try to be different. I I said, God, I'm willing to try out your goodness and your love and your forgiveness. And I don't even remember like trying to be different, but Jesus just changed me in a moment. And it's amazing what happens when Jesus turns up. See, when Jesus came to Simon Peter's house, it was a house of sickness. But when Jesus came and spoke and did his thing, it became a house of healing. When Jesus came to the house of Zacchaeus, it was a house of cheating and greed of outcasts. But when Jesus moved in that house, it became a house of honesty and righteousness and generosity and salvation. When Jesus came to the house of Jairus, it was a, it was a house of death. But after Jesus did his thing, it became a house of resurrection life. When he came to the house of Cornelius, it was a house of the outcast and house of the lonely. But after Jesus came in, it became a house of God's family. When he came to Lydia's house, it was a house of stinginess and smallness. But after Jesus moved, it was a house of hospitality. When he came to the house of Simon the Pharisee, it was a house of judgment. It was a house of criticism. It was a house of rejection and condemnation. But when Jesus came in, it became a house of grace. It became a house of faith, of salvation, of acceptance, and of forgiveness, and of love, and of inclusion. And lastly, when Jesus came to the upper room, and they were waiting, there was a house of fear. And there was a house of just I don't know, confusion. But after Jesus moved, it became a house of power. It became a house of expansion. What can Jesus do in your house right now, in this moment? Come on, why don't we lift our hands all over this place. Father, I thank you, Jesus, for who you are, Father, for what you're doing in this place tonight, Father, for every person here, for every single person, for every married person, for every person who counts themselves out, who thinks they're a sinner, who thinks they're too, you know, far gone for what you've done. Father, I pray in the mighty name of Jesus that you would change hearts tonight, that you would change people's houses, that you would change the way people are, their expression of you, Father. Lord, that you haven't built a jailhouse. You haven't built a police house. You haven't built a house to confine people and stop people. But you love us. You for us. You want to see the best, Lord, yet to come in our lives. And we thank you. And a faithful church said, Amen. Amen. Come on, let's sing down.